You know, I was reading a story uh, the other day, and I'll, I'll share this with you uh, briefly, and it, it really made sense in connection with this, with this scripture. Uh, this guy said that he was reading through, he decided one day to read through a series of magazines, and as he did, he noticed the advertisements. Maybe you've done this as you've gone through magazines or online, you see all these advertisements for things, and the advertisement that he first saw said, if you wanted to feel right, you need to buy a Nordic track and exercise on a Nordic track. Well, he realized that he didn't have a Nordic track, all he had was a gym membership, so all of a sudden didn't feel right because he wasn't feeling the feeling the uh, the exercise from the Nordic track and then they said in, in another magazine that if you want to be stylish you got to drive an SUV and if you don't have an SUV then you're not stylish and he started to think about his four kids and the minivan that he drove around and realized I guess I'm not too stylish and then the next the next article talked about if you want to be a real man you've got to drive a red sports car and, of course, that having four kids, there was no way he was going to be driving around in a red sports car. And then if you wanted to be satisfied with the right kind of meal, you got to go to Texas and be in Texas. And if you're not in Texas, then you're not going to have the right kind of meal. You're not going to be satisfied. And if you want to be a manlier man than your neighbor, you got to drive a Briggs & Stratton uh, engine-type mower. And if you don't have that, you're not a manly man. And if you didn't, if you didn't live in a particular new neighborhood or new development, you didn't have the right kind of house and you didn't love your wife if you didn't buy her a diamond necklace from the right kind of jewelry store. How many of you know where I'm going with this? There's, there's things all around us every day that, that suggest to us that if we want real life, we've got to have this, 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 and if you don't have those things, then you're not enjoying real life. Well, Christ said, I've come that you might have real life, that you might have abundant life, that you might have life more abundantly, life that's not just sustain, life that's not just, that's just the normal life, but an abundant life, an overflowing life. I want to look through a couple of commentaries here. The Barnes commentary says about John 10.10, 10, it says that God wants us to have abundance or that which abounds. Not what is essential to life, but what is super added. That God wants to super add, supernaturally add, above and beyond. They shall not merely have life simple, bare existence, but they shall have all those super added things which are needful to make that life eminently blessed. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says the thief, the false shepherd, cares only about feeding himself, not building up the flock. Christ came to benefit the flock. He gives life which is not constricted, but overflowing. I love that, that, that Christ came not to give us constricted life, but overflowing life. The JFB Commentary says, I came not merely to preserve, but to impart life and communicate it in rich and unfailing exuberance. The New King James Bible says, I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The NIV says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. God wants you to have full life. The Amplified, love this, says, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Amen. The Common English Bible says, I came so that they could have life indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. Are you living life to the fullest this morning? The Message Bible says, I came so they have real and eternal life, more and better life. We would say in New Orleans, we would say more better life than they ever dreamed of. 
The Wycliffe Bible says, I came that they have life and have it more plenteously. God wants you to have abundant life this morning. Man, I want to encourage you too. If you, if you don't have a daily study time where you get into the Word and you pull out those other translations and those commentaries and all of those things, I want to encourage you to do that. It, it will illuminate, enliven your study of God's Word. It will bring Christ off the pages as you read those scriptures and read those commentaries. Some of the definitions in this, in this passage of Scripture, the, the word, the phrase, they may have, means to have, to hold in the sense of wearing, to have possession of, to hold fast, to keep, to adhere, or to cling to. How many of you knew you were going to get a Greek lesson and a theology lesson this morning by sitting in church? This is awesome. This is, this is the Word of God. That God doesn't want you to just have a bare existence. He wants you just like you put on your clothes this morning. He wants you to put on His life. He wants you to be clothed with supernatural life. That word life is the word Zoe. That's what we named Zoe after. It means the state of one who is being possessed by vitality or is animated. Real life, absolute fullness of life. The Greek word more abundantly means exceeding some number or measure or rank or need. Furthermore, much more than all, extraordinary, surpassing, more eminent, more remarkable, more excellent, superior. Man, this is, this is the kind of life I want to live. This is the kind of life that I want to enjoy. So in other words, I'll give you my Prosser translation. I enjoy taking the Greek and figuring it all out. And I'll, I'll give you my own version of what this says. So John 10.10 in my version says, My purpose in coming to you is so that you might have and hold possession of and put on like a garment, exceedingly enlarged, extraordinary, surpassingly great, excellently remarkable, real life to the absolute fullest measure. Amen. So God wants you to have full life this morning. You know, sometimes when we are faced with circumstances and situations, the last thing you and I think of is the full life that God offers. A lot of times our focus gets shifted to the situations and circumstances that we face. Here in the context of the scripture, if you can follow along with me this morning, I, I want to start back at John 8 and kind of work through John 8, 9, and 10. John 8, we find the story. All of these, by the way, all of these passages are taking place around the same context at the temple. Jesus is teaching at the temple, and every, John 8 and 9, all the events that happen in John 8 and 9 are, are connected. They're all happening at the same time. In John 8, we find Jesus approached by the Pharisees. And what do they do? They, they try to catch him in a lie. They try to catch him up in this religious law. And they bring to him a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. The Bible says that, that she wasn't known as a prostitute. The Bible says she was caught in the act of adultery. And they brought her before Jesus and said, what do you say do with her? And I love what Jesus does. In, the, in, this, in John 8, we find an amazing uh, illustration of the life that God offers us. What he, what he does is he gets down, and I'm sure some of you are familiar with this story. He gets down in, in, the, in the dust, and he begins to write and, and play in the dirt of the ground. You know, how many of you know when you're, when you're facing death, the last thing you want Jesus to do in your life is build a sandcastle? You're like, okay, God, I, I need something more than just you riding in the dirt. 
I need you. See all these people who are getting ready to stone me. I need you to take care of them. And maybe you're here like that today and, and you're facing circumstances where maybe people aren't literally trying to stone you. If they are, uh, that's kind of prehistoric. That's, that's odd. But, but, but maybe you feel like there's people in your life today that are after you or circumstances that are out to, to take out the life that God's put in you. And here Jesus is. He's riding in the dirt. And, he's, and, he, and he gets up, the Bible says he stands up and he looks at her accusers and he says to them, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. You see, that's a powerful statement knowing, that, knowing the law of the Jews that day. If you were going to stone someone, you yourself couldn't be guilty of the same sin or else you would be worthy of the same death that you just inflicted on someone else. And so all of those men, in other words, what Jesus was saying to them, all of you are adulterers. All of you are guilty of the same thing that she just did. So if you want to throw the first stone and be condemned to death the same way she's dying, go for it. And sometimes there are things in our lives where we feel like there's no hope, there's no life that can be. And Jesus is standing there and he's, he knows the heart, he knows the intents of your accusers. He knows those around you that would judge you and say things against you. And he says, go for it, you're guilty of the same thing. Just, just try it, take a step, take a step against my anointed, take a step against my son or daughter and see what will happen when you mess with them. Isaiah said it like this, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Jesus knew what was the intent of those people and he was ready to deal with it and so he gets back down after they begin to you know discuss amongst themselves whether or not they're really going to throw those stones Jesus is back in the dirt playing in the dirt with this lady who's been in a, an adulterous uh, situation he's standing or kneeling before her playing in the dirt how many of us would really uh, deal with a woman that was caught in adultery and, and begin to play in the dirt before well, first off our judgment would be you're an adulterer you're guilty we would probably begin to make judgment calls against her. Some of us might even find ourselves with the people who are ready to throw the stones. But not Jesus. He's in the dirt. And the word that's used when Jesus stood up and he looked, at, he looked around to see her accusers, the word that's used there is the word anakupto in the Greek. It's a very picturesque word. It means that he lifted himself up with elation like the swells of an ocean. That Jesus gets up and he stands up like the swells of... In other words, this joy began to stir up in him and the, this peace began to raise up within him as he stood up. Because he knew that those... He knew the hearts of the people that were against her. And he knew the miracle that was being worked in this woman's life in that moment. There are some things that you can only get from Jesus when he builds the sandcastles in your life. Some things you can only get in those moments where Jesus is playing in the dirt. And you're like, God, I don't understand why are you why are you in in the mess of my life why are you dealing with the dirt of my life can't you move on can you stop messing with this area and move on to move on to an area that's a little bit more pleasant I don't want people to know Jesus that I'm an adulterer I don't Jesus I don't want people to know that I have issues in my heart heaven forbid that the church people might know that I have an issue in my heart Lord Jesus don't mess with this area of my life we want our lives to look pristine and in order and, 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 and there's nothing wrong and, and we carry a false facade that everything's okay but in actuality, this woman was an adulterer and had issues in her heart. God help us that we become a church that looks pristine on the outside but it's full of dead man's bones on the inside. 
Lord, we don't want to be a whitewashed sepulcher. Jesus, we want to be full of life. We want to be full of animation. We want to be full of vitality. We want the life of God in our church. And if that means, Jesus, if that means we've got to acknowledge that there's some issues that need to be dealt with, then by all means, Jesus, come play in the dirt of our lives and get those things squared away so that we can be pure and and hungry and ready to, to receive all that you have for us. So that's John 8, and then we go on to the next chapter in John 9. And by the way, I'm completely off my notes, so if you're trying to follow along, don't don't bother. And John, I love when the Holy Spirit shows up, because he just completely takes over, and and you just go with the flow. And in John chapter 9, we find Jesus is still in the temple. He's dealt with this woman, and I'm sure the Pharisees by this point are completely enraged They've just confronted him about a woman that was in an adulterous affair, and instead of sticking to the law, he forgives her. And he, he basically convicts them of their sin. Not exactly the expected outcome, outcome I'm sure, that the Pharisees were looking for. And then we move on, and, and, and we find the story of the man that was born blind. And Jesus comes to the man, and again, he's playing in the dirt. This time, he's not just playing in the dirt, he spits in the dirt. Now, now, if Jesus building a sandcastle, and I, use, I say that term you know, facetiously, he was obviously messing around and riding in the dirt. But now he's gone from playing with the dirt to spitting in the dirt. Now, to, to me, I, I'm a very clean person, and, and you, you start spitting in the dirt and putting mud on my eyes, I'm going to have a problem with that. <laughs> Jesus, just speak the word. I'll be good. Let me have the faith of the centurion. Just speak the word and I'll be healed. Don't spit on the ground and put mud on my eyes. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Is He spits in the ground and he takes the, the mud and he makes a paste, put it on his eyes. And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, the significance here, I don't, I don't think that, that there's anything that Christ does that's mistake. I don't think there's anything in Scripture that's, that's an, an error or a mistake. I think everything's included for a reason. Jesus did everything with a purpose. He had an intention in everything that he was doing. So here twice, two stories, back to back, both of them happening in the temple, Jesus is playing in the dirt. And I think that it gives us an indication of the power of God and the work of God at work in us, in the, in the dirty situations of our life. Yes, this man was, was physically blind, and the woman was in adultery. And, and there was emotional needs that this woman had, obviously. There was emotional trauma and things that needed to be dealt with. And there was physical things in this blind man's life. But I think it's a great picture of what Jesus does with each of us spiritually. Is he gets in the he gets in the, the dirty in the in the rough areas, in the areas where maybe you would rather argue than be a peacemaker, or maybe you would rather have road rage when that person cuts you off and, and Jesus says pray for those who persecute you and make you late for work. Why don't you bless them and pray for them? And, and maybe the situation where, where, where you would rather live in sin and in a stronghold area of your life and instead, of, instead of living the life that God's called you to live, you'd rather stay in the dirt. Jesus loves to get in those areas and be glorified in the midst of it. And that's what happens with this man. He puts the, puts the saliva and the mud on his eyes 
And he goes and he washes and he can see. He can come back and he's rejoicing. He can see. Again, the Pharisees get absolutely irritated. Who healed you? Why, why are you healed? Why? Who did this? It's the Sabbath day. We don't heal people on the Sabbath day. This is against the law. Here's a man that's born blind. He was blind, but now he sees. And they're getting aggravated because it's against the law to heal on the Sabbath day. The very day intended to glorify Christ, they couldn't do, Jesus couldn't do what needed to be done to glorify Christ. The day that was created to glorify Christ, to glorify God, couldn't do it. It was against the law. And so they get aggravated. And the Bible says that they got, they got so aggravated with Jesus that they picked up stones to stone him. So I would imagine that the, the same stones that they were getting ready to throw at that adulterous woman, they went and picked up those same stones. If you can get this picture with me, they went and get, got those same stones to throw at Jesus. You see, the, the, the people that would come against you and the, the circumstances and the situations that would try to hinder you or slow you down, Jesus dealt with those himself for you. Jesus came and, and dealt with those situations and those circumstances himself so that when you face them, you can say, Jesus, these are the same stones they try to stone you with. Can you deal with this for me? I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability to face this situation. Can you deal with this? Can you handle this for me? And the Bible says that in Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He comes. That word helper is in the Greek, soon antilambanamai. It's a major compound word. And if you can say it, it sounds like you're praying in tongues. Soon antilambanamai. It's a Greek word. And it means that he comes. And, and the picture that's painted by this word, it's like a lifeguard that comes out when you're drowning in, in the ocean, it's like a lifeguard coming out and wrestling and striving with you to pull you to safety. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and helps us in our weakness. And we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And he, he strives and he wrestles with us and pulls us to a place of safety and a place of healing, a place of restoration. And so that's what he did with this man. He puts the mud on his eyes. He goes and washes and he washes it off and he can see. And the Pharisees are irate. And they're picking up stones to throw them at Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus disappeared. He moved out from among them. And on his way out, as he's moving out, he, he, he ministers to this man, confronts this man. And the disciples asked him, I love this question. The disciples asked, who was it that sinned? Was it his mom or his dad? What, what, whose sin caused him to be born blind? You know, maybe you're, you're here today and, and someone's told you that, that your sin has caused and created the circumstance that you're in. And maybe you're having a health issue and, oh, it's because you have sin in your life. And I agree that, I, I agree that the consequences of sin can produce uh, sickness and illness and cause us to be in debt and all of those things. But thank God for His grace that He comes in the middle of our stupidity and redeems us out of the pit. He brings new life into our circumstance. And so he, he begins to minister this man. And he asks him, do you know the Lord? Do you know who the Lord is, basically? And he says, I don't know him. And Jesus said, the one that you're speaking with and have seen is he. In other words, Jesus said, you couldn't see me before. 
I healed your eyes so that you could see. Yes, physically see, but he healed his eyes spiritually so he could see who Christ was in that moment. Christ wants to bring supernatural life into each one of us. We see here in these scriptures, and, and I'm not going to have the time to go back through all of these notes that I didn't preach, but we see, we see here in, in, in this story the, the greatness of Christ, how great our God is, and, and how, how awesome and majestic he is, but how much authority and power he has to transcend his greatness and become become humble. He's he's not he's not far off from us. He's concerned about the details of our life. He, the Bible says in in Colossians three eleven whether there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all and in all. In other words, that no matter no matter what your background, no matter what your life situation is here today, maybe you're here today and you've got a Catholic background or a different religious background or different family background, or no matter what it is. Christ's love can reach you where you're at today. It doesn't matter what your background is. His life and his love is sufficient for you today. Just like this man born blind, just like this adulterous woman, the love and the life of Christ that was extended to them is extended and offered to you today as well. I love this quote by Jonathan Edwards. It says, Christ as he is God is infinitely great and high above all. He is higher than the kings of the earth, for he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is higher than the heavens and higher than the highest angels of heaven. So great is he that all men, all kings, all princes are as but worms of the dust before him. All nations are as a drop of the bucket and the light dust of the balance. Yea, and angels themselves are as nothing before him. He is so high that he is infinitely above any need of us, above our reach that we cannot be profitable to him, and above our conceptions that we cannot comprehend him. And yet he is one of infinite condescension. None are so low or inferior, but Christ's condescension is sufficient to take a gracious notice of them. He condescends not only to the angels, humbling himself to behold the things that are done in heaven, but he also condescends to such poor creatures as men, and that not only as to take notice of princes and great men, but those who are of the meanest rank and degree, the poor of the world. The Christ has come. He's, he's infinitely great. He's above all. He's the creator of all. And he's stepped into creation for you and I. God himself, the creator of all things, the one who spoke and the worlds came into existence, has stepped into creation for you and I today. That we can encounter his love. That we can be pulled up out of the pit of despair. That we can have the full life that he's promised us. The full life that was paid for on Calvary. He's a just God. He's a gracious God. He deals, with, he deals with justice, and yet He's gracious. And not only this, but, but Christ not only is the source of our life, He's the reality of our life. Christ's desire for you is to not live a menial life. He wants, to wants your life to be enlarged. Everybody say enlarged this morning. Everybody, enlarge. enlarge. He wants to enlarge your life this morning. That's good news. That God wants you to have, first off, 2 Samuel 22 says that he wants to enlarge your path. For, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me... 
the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You have enlarged my path under me, so my feet do not slip. God wants to enlarge your path this morning. He wants to uphold you. In other words, he wants to uphold you on your journey. As you go through life, how many of you know there are opportunities for you to slip and to fall. There's opportunities of destruction and hurt and fear and anxiety. And Christ wants to come and bring his life to bear in your life, this supernatural life that enlarges your, your pathway, your journey, the place of your journey. And 1 Kings 4.29 says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. God not only wants to enlarge your journey, he wants to enlarge your heart. In other words, he wants to give, and when his life comes to bear in your life, he wants to give you a supernatural compassion for other people. That there, there are those around you that need this life of God in their life. They need to enjoy the fullness of life. I want you to look around you this morning. There are empty places all over, empty seats all over this sanctuary. They're in the balcony, and they're right next to you. All of us have a, have a green space between us, if you will. They're empty, and there is a name on every single one of those seats. There is somebody that you live next to, that you work with, that you see at the grocery store, that, that maybe hasn't been here in a while. Every one of these seats has a name on it. There's a place for all those people that God has an intention for to be here. And God wants to give you his supernatural life this morning so that you have an enlarged compassion. That when you begin to go, go through your everyday life, we no longer just have this, uh, this focus that becomes blinded to those around us. But we have eyes wide open to see the needs of those around us. In 1 Chronicles 4.10, God not only wants to give us compassion and enlarge our heart, but he also wants to enlarge your territory. 1 Corinthians 4.10, a very famous prayer made famous by books a few years ago, the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez called on the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. God wants to enlarge your territory or your place of influence with others. This supernatural life that God gives you is for ministering to others, but he wants to give you influence with others. He's not going to give you compassion for someone and not the ability to influence them. When was the last time that you found yourself uh, going about your normal life and realizing that there's someone next to you that God wants you to influence, and then God gives you the ability to influence them? I remember one of the places that I used to work uh, we had, we were at a, I worked at a law firm. I was a, a private investigator for a law firm for probably four or five years. There's a bit of information you can get to know about me. And uh, one of my, it was probably one of my favorite jobs was do, doing uh, private investigation for the law firm. And uh, I didn't do marital law. So don't, don't get, and most people think you're going out investigating people having affairs. That's not what I was doing. And uh, one of the, one of the investigators that I worked with, we were, um, we were in offices that, that didn't allow us to, to interact a lot. His office was away from mine. But, but God began to stir a supernatural compassion in my heart for him. And I didn't know his story. I didn't know who he was. I just knew that God began to stir a supernatural compassion in my heart for him. And I said, God, I don't see him enough to even talk to him. Our offices are apart from each other. We worked in the same area of litigation, but he worked for a different attorney. And I just never saw him. 
And, and I felt like God said, I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry. You know, we're going to walk through this or figure this out. You know, I, like God had it handled, you know. And so about a month later, we, get it, we got an announcement made that we were changing buildings. We were relocating our offices. Well, wouldn't you know it, when we relocated, we had a desk right next to each other. Literally, we had an aisle and cubicles, and our cubicles right, right next to each other. And I said, okay, God, I got what you're doing here. I'm not, I'm not stupid. I may, have been, I may have been a little slow, but, but I got this. I figured this one out. And so we, be, we dev, developed a relationship. I began to talk to him. I wasn't preaching at him. I wasn't trying to tell him how horrible of a sinner he was. I just listened. I just listened to him. Listen to him talk. Listen, asked him about his family. Asked him about his background, church background. We just talked. And I, every day I had a Bible sitting on my desk. I live my life how I live as a Christian. There was nothing different. I live my life at, as a Christian. And he began to ask me questions about what, what salvation is and, and, and what, what going to church is all about. And, and we developed a relationship. I, he had two boys. I bought him the, the book by James Dobson, Bringing Up Boys, and gave him that book and used it as a tool to encourage him. And, and we, began to, we began to talk. And a relationship was developed. He ended up getting born again. He started going to church. He's still in church. He actually lives in Springfield, Missouri, for those of you who have family and connections there. He actually lives in Springfield. Um, and, and so... That, that relationship, that simple relationship and connection, God gave me a compassion and then gave me the ability to influence his life. Also, God wants to enlarge your dwelling place. In other words, he wants to increase your vision. In Isaiah 54, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let, the, let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Psalms 118.5 says, I called on the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and he set me in a broad place. God wants to enlarge your dwelling place. He wants to enlarge your vision. And then lastly, he wants to enlarge your capacity for him. In Ephesians 3, Heather read verse 20 this morning, but preceding those verses in verses 17 through 19, Paul said that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints... He wants you to be able to comprehend with all the saints. He wants you to have a supernatural ability. God's enlarging you. He wants to enlarge you that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. God wants you to live a life full, satiated, saturated of his supernatural life this morning. I don't know what circumstance you find yourself in this morning. Maybe... Maybe you're like the, the woman caught in adultery. And you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is shining His light and, and He's zeroed in this morning on maybe an area of your life that you're living in sin. Maybe you're away from God. Maybe you, maybe you once had a relationship with Him and, and that relationship was vibrant and full of life. And that, and that light of His life has grown dim this morning. And, and God wants to come and He wants to invigorate. He wants to breathe or blow the Holy Spirit life of God back into that fire again and rekindle that passion for Him. And maybe you're like the blind man this morning and, and God's speaking. You can hear Jesus' voice and you just can't really see what he's talking about. You can hear Jesus this morning saying, I want to bring new life. I want to enlarge your territory. I want to expand you. I want to do this or that. And you can hear what Jesus is saying, but, but you just can't physically see what he's saying. You, you, you can hear it all day long, but you just don't have the eyes to really see what Jesus 
is saying. He wants to give you supernatural insight, supernatural sight, supernatural vision to see what he's talking about this morning. And then maybe, maybe you find yourself, the last thing I want to close with is Jesus said in John 10 that he was the good shepherd. That you can come in this morning and find life in his sheep gate this morning. In other words, you can come into to the family of God this morning, and the Bible says that there's only one way in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you're here this morning, and you don't have that real life that Christ is offering. There's only one way in to enjoy that life, and it's through Jesus Christ. It's not through Muhammad or Buddha or Islam or any other religion. It's through Jesus Christ, Him only. And He wants you today to experience the fullness of His life. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back. Why don't you stand with me this morning? How many of you want the fullness of life that God has for you this morning? Why don't you just give Him praise this morning? Lord, we just thank You for life this morning. We thank You for supernatural life. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that this morning in your house there's life. We thank you that this is a tabernacle, a dwelling place, a house for the presence of God. And we thank you that you are here this morning. Lord, we pray that the word that has been shared, Father, the seeds that have been sown would produce harvest this morning in Jesus' name.